Today I'm privileged to uh, welcome and introduce you to Dr. Peter Sung. Peter has preached here at Pine Lake Covenant Church a couple times before. Last time it was, we were all online, so we're glad to have you here in person. Peter is a, has been a covenant pastor since 1999. He serves currently with our conference, the Pacific Northwest Conference, as a coach and director of church planning. And he's been involved in ministries throughout our conference and denomination for a long, long time. We're privileged to have Peter's wife, Susie, and three of his daughters here with us. So make sure you greet them afterwards. They live in the Seattle area. So I want you to join me in giving a warm welcome to Peter Sung. Thanks, Sharon. Good morning. Good morning. Today I want to talk to you about a, uh, it's kind of like a metaphor, but it's also a reality uh, that I hope is helpful for you at this time in the season of the church, and hopefully in your personal lives as well. Um, I like talking about this topic because it's a really good example of something that I've had to do uh, for my personal growth in uh, Christianity and this faith. I really draw a lot of benefit from studying different disciplines, different sciences, um, philosophy, literature, uh, physics, quantum mechanics, chemistry, biology, theology, psychology, whatever it is, and seeing that a common thread runs through them. And when this one discipline can validate the truthfulness or the veracity of some, some principle in another discipline, it adds more credibility and it helps me to believe. It gives me a kind of integrated faith that I think helps me to be in the world, even if I'm not of it. It allows me to connect with the culture, to love the people of the culture, to be not threatened, uh, but to see opportunities to connect and to love and to give uh, what today I'm going to call energy. So I'll start with um, the end of the sermon. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you to be a people and to be persons that add energy. There are people who drain energy, and then there are people who add energy. Uh, there's a show that I, I really like. Don't judge me for it. It's on Hulu or FX. It's called What We Do in the Shadows. Anybody familiar with this show? It's about vampires, and it's really kind of a social commentary. Uh, it's, it's a comedy, uh, kind of a sitcom of sorts. Um, there's a character in there. He is an energy vampire. And so what he does is he works in an office environment, and he, every morning he goes from cubicle to cubicle talking with people, his, his co-workers. And uh, he answers questions they're not asking. He gives long explanations to short questions, gives details where details are not wanted. And you can see that the co-workers that he's talking to, as he's talking away, oblivious and not self-aware, their energy level begins to drop and they start sinking lower and lower in their seats and his eyes start glowing bright because he's feeding off their energy. And that's a commentary on our society. There are people in your lives who are energy drains for you. If you're sitting here and you say, I don't have anyone that drains my energy, 
You are the one that drains energy. (laughs) And so I'll take us there, but I'm going to end with asking you to consider uh, what kind of person you are. What kind of person you are at this church. What kind of church Pine Lake is in this community. Do you take energy? Are you an energy sink? Energy drain? Or are you an entity, a person, a group, a church that actually adds energy wherever you go? How do people feel after brushing up against you? They feel energized? Are you enervating or are you energizing? Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 to 5 is one of our texts, and it captures almost everything I've just said to you, but there are other verses that corroborate this, so we'll look at those too. So I want to begin with this idea of leadership. Here's my definition of leadership. I spent years studying this. I just got a degree in organizational psychology. Uh, I feel pretty caught up on the latest and greatest research out there uh, about the leadership, the science of leadership. Here's my personal definition of leadership. Leadership is an extrinsic energy source from outside of the system. In other words, good leadership, leadership when it's actually leadership, adds energy. Leaders add energy. So you are getting ready to receive your new senior pastor January, right? If if Austin Bailey is a good leader, he's going to add energy, not take energy from this church. Yeah, sure, we all lead and grow at others' expense. There's, There's a give and take. There's an economy to it all. But net positive if he's a good leader. I once had a leader a small group pastor that I hired, and his assignment was, I would love for you to get 80% of the church into small groups. I gave him one year to do it, and by the end of that year, 120% of the church were in small groups because 20% of those people never came to church. They just joined small groups. That's, That's a good hire. That's good energy. He added energy. It didn't take, he added. Uh, and the reason leadership is so necessary as an energy source from outside of the system is because of something we call the second law of thermodynamics. Now, looking at you guys, I bet somebody knows what the second law of thermodynamics is. Anybody? I know you know it. I'll repeat it so everybody can hear it, but what is it? No, that's not the second. What's the second one? It's a, it's a morbid one. Entropy. Entropy is another word for chaos. And the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy is always increasing within a closed system. Left to its own devices, if you leave anything alone, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. Did you know this? Do you feel this? Do you live this? I mean, that's what makes us makes the world go around because we're always trying to keep up, fight against entropy. If we could just leave things alone, they actually got better, we'd just leave it alone. 
But instead, we have to constantly add energy just to stay level. And so a good energy source mitigates this natural tendency towards chaos, death, decay, entropy, thermal death. And then not only mitigates it, but begins to reverse it. So everything's got a life cycle. It's birth, life, death. Everything succumbs to this. But sometimes there is an outside-of-the-system intervention that reverses the clock and buys more time. In business, we call this maybe jumping the S-curve. That's what Harvard Business Review called it. And a really good example of this uh, is probably our planet and its relationship to the sun. How long does it take for the sun's energy to get to the earth? About eight minutes, right? That means if the sun disappeared right now, in eight minutes, something begins to happen. Some drama starts to unfold on planet earth. Because left to the earth's own devices, if we are a closed system, without this outside of the system, this extrinsic energy source, we begin to immediately begin to die. Thermal death, chaos, decay. And you know, it's no wonder uh, people, civilizations over the years, have felt awe at the sun. Some have even worshipped the sun because we recognize the sun to be this leader for our planet. It adds energy. Everything gets worse. Um, I made a list of things in my house that are getting worse. <laughs> it's just a long, long list. And it's quite depressing. We ordered the dishwasher in May because it broke. We just got it. It took months. Supply chain issues. I have a front door that's west-facing, and it's painted with dark green paint. Left to its own devices, get it what it's doing. It's getting worse. And the frame around it has been rotting out. Now when you close the door, the whole wall just shakes a little bit. Got an estimate. It's too expensive. I'm going to live with it. And then the sidewalk leading up to the door, there's erosion underneath this square of concrete. And it keeps sinking on one side. Not only does it look bad, but pretty soon we're going to start tripping on it. And then we have this giant tree, as most homes in the Pacific Northwest do, that's constantly shedding these little skinny pine cone things. And it's filling my gutter. Every week I have to go up and take it out because now it's raining. Because if I don't do that, then all this wood along the side of my house is going to start rotting away. And then it's going to seep in. And then I'm going to have to redo the drywall that I redid 10 years ago. And the list goes on and on and on. How's your house doing? Is it getting better? And you are that extrinsic energy source, aren't you? You have to pour time and attention, effort, or you have to throw money at it. And to have the money to throw at it, you have to throw energy at that effort. Unless you're one of these billionaires and you've figured out how to live off loans that you get by leveraging all the stock that you have. That's how Elon Musk does it. That's how Bezos does it. 
But even there, something is doing work because everything requires energy. Just a fact of life. And leadership, really good leadership, is another word for this extrinsic energy source which mitigates and then reverses the natural tendency towards decay. There's a verse that um, begins to tell this story that I've been telling. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, talks about this curse. And it says this, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is referring to Adam and Eve. When they ate of the forbidden fruit, God promised death, yet they lived. Well, what happened? I think, per my understanding of how the world works, I think the second law was introduced that day. I think there was a tendency towards life. And then on that day, there was introduced a tendency towards death. That's my own personal theory. But here it is, the curse, the beginning of the second law of thermodynamics. And then this main passage for today really begins to spell it out for us. Revelation chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter um, 22, verse 3 to 5. Let me read it for us. God's curse. Remember, we just talked about the curse that started in Genesis, right? God's curse, God's second law, will no longer be on the people of that city. Now, just let me just pause right there and ask you to imagine utopia or heaven or whatever you have in your head. In that world, dishwashers don't break. Pine trees don't clog up your gutters. Sidewalks don't sink. Front doors don't get rotted out by the sun. Can you imagine that day? I mean, if you were to go to heaven and you still had to keep things up, if you still had to add energy, that, that wouldn't be heaven for me because half my stress is just knowing that things are rotting. So there is going to come a day when the second law is no, no, no longer in effect. God's curse will no longer be on the people of that city. He and the Lamb will be seated there on their thrones, and its people will worship God. And we will see Him face to face. Now this part is beginning to get interesting. Face to face. There's something happening there. When the Bible talks about us being face-to-face, there's usually a uh, beginning uh, sort of conversation about light. There's, there's energy being introduced here. God's name will be written on the foreheads of the people. And here it is. Here it is. Verse 5. Never again will night appear. No one who lives there will ever need a lamp or the sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will rule forever. Now, you read about the curse first, and you think, what does the curse have to do with God himself being the light and us not needing the sun anymore? You know, it's a little bit perplexing. It's hard to explain theologically all on its own, but if you begin to introduce the idea of the second law, then you begin to crack this code a little bit. So the curse is the second law that was introduced at some point in human history, right? But the promise of God 
is that even the sun itself, which mitigates and reverses the decay on planet Earth, was just, uh, you know, just a placeholder. It was just a reminder. It was just a temporary measure. Until the day when God himself, when he and us will be face to face, we will be directly connected to an eternal energy source. We temporal beings will become eternal beings. We will live forever, not because of the sun, but because of God himself, who is actually what the sun stood for all along. So if you ever have felt a compulsion to worship creation, this is why. Because God himself was behind it all. He was behind the sun that we feel in awe of. Isn't this pretty cool? A couple of more verses. Revelations 21, 23. And the city did not need the sun nor the moon, which is a reflection of the sun. The glory of God was shining on it, and the Lamb was its light. The city did not need the sun or the moon. I think that's really cool. Isaiah 60, 19 to 20, going further back. You won't need the light of the sun or the moon. I, the Lord, your God, will be your eternal light and bring you honor. Your sun will never set or your moon go down. I, the Lord, will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will come to an end. You know, you kind of think about the anxiety of existence. You know, what, what is keeping us up at night? What makes us do the things that we do? What are the things we spend money on? And people have spent time and energy trying to answer this question. And there's kind of an anxiety underneath existence, our existence. And we keep spending money on things that we feel anxious about. It's like we're beating back something. We're fighting against some invisible truth that we know is coming. You know, there's, it's, there's a kind of ground we're fighting to maintain. And it's this desire uh, for honor, maybe. It's this, this desire to stay connected. It's desire to uh, not become nothing. It's desire, in some ways, you can put it, to live forever. And the scripture understands this better than we do. There is coming a day when we will be face to face, connected finally, seen finally, known finally, loved finally in such a way that we don't need these temporary solutions anymore. So I want to begin to uh, wrap up here. So I told you we're going to end here at energy, right? Here we are. I want to tell you a couple of stories. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, many years ago now, uh, in the beginning part of my uh, ministry years, um, 
this is my 26th year in ministry, so this happened, uh, yeah, almost two decades ago. Uh, I was uh, really busy planting churches, and there is a way that I was planting churches. It's not the work itself, but the way I was doing the work uh, that was draining for me. And the way I did the work exceeded, the energy consumption exceeded my uh, energy intake such that I experienced something that we call burnout. And I thought prior to that, burnout was a kind of cliche, an excuse, a word people throw around, but I realized it was real. It was, it was a profoundly uh, painful and disorienting and destructive experience for me. Uh, and it took me about six years at minimum to recover. In some ways, I'm still recovering because I'll never forget. And I know I always have a tendency to, to be that way. So I have to always be uh, watchful about that. Uh, but I needed uh, something. And so I stopped doing church. I quit. I went on a sabbatical. And that's how I got connected to conference ministry. And I became the associate superintendent of the East Coast Conference uh, way back when. But I had that experience. And I learned from that that self-care is never selfish. Second story, uh, the great Esther Perel, some of you may know her from a TED Talk or uh, interviews. Uh, she's um, just kind of a, a brilliant uh, master at understanding how relationships work. And she says uh, in her latest book that every successful marriage within it has two or three marriages. Because as we change and grow through the seasons of life, uh, you have to renegotiate the terms of engagement. And in order to do that, you have to die to the way you were married. And then you have to live again to a new marriage. And this, this transition between marriage one and marriage two is quite devastating, usually. She calls it an explosion. She says every good, healthy marriage has within it at least two or three explosions, two or three marriages. And so many of you who have been married for a while, you've probably experienced these explosions and transitions in your marriage. And I have too. And I remember Susie and I staring at each other, wondering, how are we going to get through this? This 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 is just unbearable. And yet here we stand. I would never trade what we have today for what we had in our prior marriage. Third story, spending time with kids. You know, I'm just so aware that if I don't spend time with my kids, if I don't add energy to these relationships, they don't just get better on their own. You know, I have my first child in college now at UW. She's just 15 minutes away, but she just feels like she's a world away doing her college thing, and I'm always just kind of a little low-level stress about how to maintain that relationship, how to maintain the right distance so that she can differentiate healthily and, you know, say no to me and say yes to herself and say still maintain some sort of, you know, good relationship. Even yesterday, I said to one of my kids, because I just got back from a trip, so I said, oh, I feel like we haven't spent a lot of time together. I said, do you feel connected to me? And she said, yes. And I asked because I wasn't sure. 
Uh, last story, uh, church. I planted six churches, uh, revitalization another one, but then really working with hundreds of churches over the years, uh, church planters, uh, church plants, and other leaders. When I was a director of church planning, uh, I did about 130 churches, talked with 130 potential church planters and pastors and leaders a, y- a year on average. And it's possible for a church to not exist and then suddenly exist. It's always kind of a crazy thing to think about. If you add energy, churches can exist. If you add energy, churches can be turned around. I remember a church, they, they were on their last leg. They were down to, from their former glory days, they were down to under 100 people. And then after a lot of energy was added, They had one Easter, and then another Easter, and then another Easter. Three Easters in a row where they were above 600. Can you imagine what it felt like to be part of that process? All of these stories, of course, have one theme in common. When energy from outside of the system was added, there was a mitigation of the prior trajectory and then a new trajectory. There was death and then life. And the difference maker was an extrinsic energy source. It was leadership. It wasn't a leader. It was leadership. It was lots of people saying, we got to do something about this. And that's the beautiful thing. If you exercise your agency, agency by definition is the belief that the exercise of your will contributes to the achievement of your outcomes. The belief that if you exercise your will, that is add energy, it impacts what you get, what results. If you don't believe that you're not going to do anything, if you believe that you will do something, you will add energy. So now here's the questions I have for you as we close. I want you to think right now, about a person who's been an energy source for you. Can you think of someone who added energy? I was just with my mother recently. She visited here. And, uh, you know, I'm a late middle-aged man. And yet, to her, I'm just her little boy. She couldn't stop touching me. She couldn't stop saying words over me. She couldn't stop hovering and being attentive to every need I might or might not have. It felt amazing. After she left, I felt nourished. She added energy. And even though she's not with me now, I know she's thinking about me. If I call, I know her reaction. She can't believe I called. Do you have somebody like that? Who's added maybe a leader? It could be a a book. It could be a podcast. It could be a movie. It could be a friend. But some things in your life that have been energy sources for you. Maybe it was this church. Second question. Getting a little bit more personal now. I want to invite you to consider your energy signature. Are you an energy vampire? What do people experience when they experience you? How do they feel after they've interacted with you? 
Do you lead with a desire and a need to be seen or with a desire to see? Do you come with answers or do you come with a curiosity about other people? Do you come to serve, to love, to give, or do you come to take? What's your energy signature? Third question. What's your energy signature or attitude when you come to church, when you come to Pine Lake? Here's something that it's probably true of almost all churches in America because it's part, so such an uh, integral um, descriptor for American culture. Is Are you a consumer when you come to church? Like after you listen to, let's say, this sermon, is your first thought, did I like it or not? Was it good or not? So it's these sort of consumeristic questions. Do you walk away with a critique I do. That's like the, the big imperative in my mind when I experience anything. Did I like it? Like, who cares if I liked it? Well, Americans do. Because it's all about me and my consumption. It's not about us. It's about me. Because I'm individualistic and I'm consumeristic. What are you like when you come to church? Do you come here with your mouth open like a little bird wanting to be fed? Or do you come to feed, to serve, to give? Because if you don't add energy here, what happens to Pine Lake? You know, and this is kind of the question that um, I feel like I'll be doing my job if I ask this right. You're in this liminal space right now, this transition season, and you have to pivot as a church. You have to sort of figure out how to connect to the culture how to be a friend to culture. You have to ha- figure out how to be uh, the Israelites in exile who were, who were seeking the welfare of the city. You have to figure out how to be a good energy source. But it begins with individuals who are participants in the life of the church deciding, I want to be an energy add, not an energy drain. My job isn't to think about church as a place where I can come and be vampiric. So that leads us to the last question. Um, How can Pine Lake add energy to this community? Are churches more vampiric to society? If church is folded, what, do, what does the community around it feel? Does it even know? Maybe a for-profit organization can be built in this space and they could at least get taxes out of it. So I leave you with those questions. And we'll end with this reading from Philippians chapter 3. Follow along as I read and consider the invitation that's here. But whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And here it is, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what I hope for all of us and for this church, that we may die to our energy-draining ways. Our ways of being energy vampires. The promise is, if you will die, there's a new way to live, to be an energy source. To be a leader, to be that extrinsic energy source. Such that whatever entity or system you connect to, there's a mitigation of the second law and then a reversal. That can happen. That happens all the time. And Pine Lake can be one of those churches. So that's my invitation to you all to die to your energy-draining ways and to live as leaders. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you uh, are our sun. You are our light. And we can be face-to-face with you. We can have our needs met. We can connect with you. We can find security and identity and purpose, meaning in you, such that wherever we show up, we get to see other people. We get to ask questions. We get to inquire about their well-being. And we get to be givers. We get to add energy. Whether we are out there living our life or in here as a part of this church, God, I pray that we can have the same energy signature that you had where you walked and talked, served and loved, ultimately died to yourself so that others might live. So I pray that for Pine Lake, that this church, though it lives, will live all the more. I pray this in Jesus' name.